Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. I love Christmas, and I love how we are celebrating Christmas right now. Isn't it cool what this team is doing? Can y'all show some love to Vintage Worship, man? This is so good. And who votes that we just have strings from here on out? Like, that is just awesome. It's just awesome. This is such a cool way to celebrate this season. And we're in a series right now that we're calling A Thrill of Hope because that is a line from my favorite Christmas song of all time. And if it's not your favorite song, we need to have a conversation because it is the best. And the best version ever done was the one that our team did last year. Come on, somebody. Phenomenal. And I know y'all keep asking, when are we going to do it? Next week. Next week. See, we, we, we made y'all just wait, because that's what Christmas is. It's about waiting, right? Leah asked me yesterday, my daughter, can we just open like one present? Like, no, I've tried that. And some of y'all were the ones, like my sister, she used to unwrap her presents, look at them, and wrap them back. Yeah, but that's okay. Hope. And I don't know how you feel as we're walking into this season because it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Christmas is, is, is planted at the end of a calendar year. And so often in this year, all we can do is look back over the year that was and discover that so many things that we expected to happen didn't, and so many things that we never wanted to happen did. And this whole concept of hope, we've been leaning into this version, this definition. It says a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. And when that certain thing didn't happen, and maybe it wasn't this year, and maybe it's been years of waiting. When, when our experience and our expectation don't quite align, it does something to us. Come on, somebody, y'all talk to me this morning. I missed y'all last week. I need to hear you today, okay? Like when, when our experience doesn't align with what we expected, when what we expected isn't what we're experiencing, more often than not, it zaps us of hope. But can we all be honest, too? There are moments that there's good unexpected then what we expected and what we experienced don't align, but what we are experiencing is so much greater than what we expected. Come on, testify somebody. You ever had one of those moments? Like, like have you ever had a Christmas like that where you, you got the present that you didn't expect? I'll never forget the year that like I opened all the presents and there was like one more thing and I went into our kitchen table and there was a 19-inch color TV and a Nintendo NES with Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. It was the best Christmas ever, y'all. And some of y'all are like young. You're like, what the heck is he talking about? It's back when video games were awesome. Three buttons. You didn't need an engineering degree to work a controller. <laughs> like there are moments in life when there are those good unexpected, right? When what we are experiencing doesn't align with our expectation in a really good way. And there's a couple in the Christmas story that is experiencing just that. Because you see, Mary wasn't the only one to be visited by an angel with a birth announcement. There was another couple that's deeply connected to the Christmas story and deeply woven into the gospel story of a couple that also were told that they were gonna have a baby. And this was in a moment where they had, they had kind of given up hope. They had lost the expectation to ever have a child because they were well on in their years and they had settled for maybe this just wasn't in their cards. And then it happens. Go with me to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, verse 11. 
I'm going to read verses 11 through 20. If you're following on, on, online or you're with the app, Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 11. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with, with fear because there was an angel in the room. Come on, that would freak you out a little bit. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of, and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In Zechariah verse 18, he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Well, first of all, dude, there's an angel talking to you. How can I be sure of this? Because, see, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Notice he didn't even say his wife was old to an angel. She is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You know, we've read about this earlier in the series when Mary goes to see her relative because Gabriel would tell Mary, Mary, your relative Elizabeth, she is also with child. And do you remember that moment when Mary comes in and the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, the one being foretold right here, hears the voice of Mary. And the Bible says that, that John began to move in Elizabeth's womb, recognizing the voice of Mary. And even in that moment, John the Baptist, it's almost like he's even as an unborn child, recognizing the call that he will have on his life. See, this is one of those unexpected moments Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had, they had desired a child. They had given up hope. And then all of a sudden, here's Zachariah. He's just doing his normal job, working in the temple, and boom, an angel shows up and says, hey, your wife is going to give birth to a child. And this child, too, is going to be special. Not as significant as the Savior that Mary is carrying, but still significant. That this child, John, would have this unique calling that he would be the one that would go before Jesus to prepare the way, to cultivate the culture, to get them ready to receive Jesus as the Savior of the world. And y'all, sometimes it seems like John is just like a footnote in the gospel story. And as we're going to walk, I would see maybe he is even okay with that. But he is anything but just a simple footnote it's so easy to think that John the Baptist somehow grew up in Jesus' shadow, when that would be far from the truth, that while Jesus was tucked away in the shadows in Nazareth for 30 years, unknown, unseen, and hidden, John's out pounding the pavement and preparing the way for Jesus, constantly telling people, hey, I'm not the one, but the one is here. The one is coming. 
I know I've been convinced in my heart and y'all need to get ready. You need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need, you need to stop looking for your Savior to come in the form of some political figure because he's going to come at a time and from a place that you're not expecting. And if you're not paying attention, look at me, you're going to miss it. And that was the mission of John the Baptist's life. And by the time Jesus transitioned from these anonymous years in Nazareth to stepping on the scene in his earthly ministry, John had, had, had built quite the following. We don't really even know how many, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that had heard. And John was a weird dude, y'all. It says he, wore these, he ate locusts and honey and wore these weird clothes. And he was, he was a strange cat. But people were consumed with him. And then there comes this moment when, when Jesus is finally his time. The Father has finally released him onto the scene to begin to make known the reality of who he was in spirit and in truth, that he was not just the son of some no-name carpenter. And he wasn't just some baby that was born in the stable. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. He was the one and only son of God coming to take away the sins of all mankind. And when he steps on the scene and John sees him, he knows that everything that he has been doing to this point is gonna change. Go with me to John chapter one. Look at verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And that right there doesn't make any sense. Because see, you, John would have been born first. It says that when the angel comes and talks to Mary, he says, Elizabeth is already six months into her pregnancy. But see, Jesus' life didn't begin with Mary. He was before all and in all and through all, and in him all things were made, as Colossians tells us. Come on. So he says, he was before me because he's existed since the foundation of the world, because he's more than flesh and blood and a man. There's something unique and special that rests only on Jesus. And everything, guys, I've been doing over these last years is to prepare you for what is about to unfold. And then comes this moment. Look at Matthew chapter three. Start at verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. <laughs> But John tried to deter him, saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now, because it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John finally consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And you know, that had to serve as this, this sense of affirmation for John, right? Because here John had spent his whole life preparing the way, claiming that Jesus was coming, letting people know like his entire existence was dedicated to this very moment. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, it's time, John to fulfill all the things that the Old Testament, the prophets and the scriptures have said, you need to baptize me. And John's like, 
I'm not even worthy to carry your shoes, man. <laughs> Much less baptize you. If anybody's gonna be baptizing anybody, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is the way it was intended to be. And can you imagine that moment when Jesus comes up out of the waters? Like I love watching people come out of the baptism waters at our church and, and, and we all explode and get excited. But this says when Jesus came out of the waters, heaven opened up. And a dove flew down. Now, right then, my wife would have freaked out. She hates birds. She's that one on the beach when a seagull comes, she runs. Why am I talking about it? A dove come down. And it says this loud, booming voice affirms who Jesus is. The Father speaks audibly from heaven, apparently, because they all heard it. John heard it. It says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And now John's followers were like, wait a minute. John, you mean you're, you're gonna take a back seat? Like what's happening here? And, and, and there's, there's almost a sense of resistance, y'all, from, from John's followers because they, they, they have bought in, they believe. And, but John knows now is the moment where Jesus begins to rise and John has to kind of step back. And even he has to kind of set his followers straight. Look at John chapter three, verse 27. It says, to this, John replied, a person can only, he can receive only what has been given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, like guys, I've said from the beginning, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom and the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and it is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine, and it's now complete. Then verse 30, see, he, Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and, the, and speaks as one from the earth. And the one who comes from heaven is above all. He says, guys, like this is, my whole life has led to this moment. This is what I've been working for all this time. And so, yeah, everything in my life is about to change. All the people that were once following me, for the most part, are now gonna go and follow him. But that's the way it was supposed to be. That's the way it was intended to be from the beginning. And here's John. Like, he's given his whole life to Jesus. That he had spent all of his days preparing for this moment. He is, I can imagine the stories that he grew up with. Hearing from his mom, you know, you know we've got a relative who, who's gonna be, he's gonna be the one that, that our people, that we've been waiting for for centuries. He's Jesus. And you know what? An angel of the Lord told your dad that you're gonna be the one that prepares the way for him and so his whole life, he knew that this was the moment. And then he gets to be there in that moment when, when heaven opens and the Father speaks and affirms Jesus' calling. But then you move forward a few years. And we don't know a lot about what happens to John, where John just kind of moves to the background and Jesus steps to the foreground. And finally, we hear of a moment when because of his radical nature, because of his call to repentance, because you could ultimately say his commitment to continue to champion who Jesus is, John finds himself in prison for quite some time. 
And apparently some stories keep getting back to John as to what ha- what's happening and what Jesus is doing. But there comes this moment in Matthew chapter 11 where John asks a question that seems unlikely, unless you know people. <laughs> Look at it with me. John chapter, I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11. Start with verse two. It says, when John, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? What a question. Are you the one? Wait, John, you, dude, you were there. <laughs> you grew up this entire time knowing about Jesus, hearing the stories. Zachariah and Elizabeth, your parents, Remember, Mary, his mom, came, like you, all these things. And now here you are in in prison, and he says, he starts to hear all these things. John's rotting away in prison, and Jesus is out there doing all these amazing things. He's healing people, and and he's turning water into wine, and he's walking on water, and he's doing all these amazing things. And he says, are you the one? Look at me. Have you ever had an are you moment? Have you ever prayed an are you prayer? Have you ever been in a season of life when what was happening to you or around you was so frustrating, disappointing, and discouraging? You asked God, are you real? (laughs) Come on. Are, Are you real? Or God, are you paying attention? Are you still who I thought you were? Come on, somebody. Have you ever found yourself in a situation in life? Have you ever looked in around you and you were so confused by what God was doing, it made you question who he is? If you have, you're in good company. Because it's easy to think, to ask those questions means we're terrible people, we're terrible Christians, we're terrible followers of Jesus. And some of us even grew up in traditions where, where we, stuff would be happening in our lives and we would be like, why is God doing this? And some maybe well-intentioned but really mean person would say, don't question God. Who, who do you think you are to question God? I think I'm like John the Baptist. And David See, if you've ever had a are you moment, look at me, you're in good company. Do you remember Psalm 13 when King David, who had been walking with the Lord, a man after God's own heart, he prays an are you prayer. (laughs) Verse one, Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord. Give light to my eyes and, or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes rejoice when I fall. Stop right there for just a minute. How long, Lord? Like you ever prayed with, how long? Maybe that's, maybe that's what John is thinking right now. Like, Jesus, if you're really the Savior, how long are you going to let me sit here in prison? If you're really the one? But David writes, but I trust you. 
and I trust your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. There are moments in life when we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that are really frustrating and difficult, and it's easy to look at what's happening to us, wonder what he's doing, and almost begin to question who he is. Jesus would say about John the Baptist on the very heels of this question. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. When, 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 those, when those people come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, John wants to know, are you the one? Jesus doesn't go, I can't believe he would ask me that. Really? How dare he ask me that? He's known me his whole life. He, he baptized me for goodness sake. He saw the dove, he heard the voice. How dare he ask that question? Notice that Jesus never scolds, scoffs, or even push back at the fact that John wonders why. He even says, he tells him, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He said, there never been anybody greater born of a woman <laughs> other than John the Baptist. Like he's, it's okay to pray are you prayers. It's okay to pray are you prayers. It's okay when you're experiencing difficult things in life and going through hard stuff to look at God and say, are you? Are you? Are you the one? But I wonder what was like the, what was the expectation here? What is this question rooted in? And it's easy to think that, that it comes with the expectation of rescue. That John the Baptist is, is so frustrated and, and, and he, maybe he even thinks, Jesus, are you the one? Because if you're the one, why am I here? And you need to be reminded, Jesus, of everything I've done for you. I'm the one that pounded the pavement while you were stuck away. I'm the one who took a step back when you came on the scene. And, and sometimes we almost wonder, is John asking this because he believes that in prison is not where he belongs, that perhaps he's entitled to more? And you know why we wonder that? Because that's how we pray. God, I'm not supposed to be here. Have you seen everything I've done for you? Have you seen all the times I've served? Have you seen all the money I've given to the church? Have you seen all this stuff? Jesus, are you paying attention? Because if you are, why am I here? But I would submit to you, that's not at all the reason why John is asking this question. See, I don't, I don't think he asked this question with the expectation of rescue. I think he asked this question with the hope of affirmation. I don't think it's like, God, if you are who you say you are, I want out of here. I don't think John is asking Jesus to rescue him from it. I don't think he's saying, God, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, will you come get me out? I don't think he's looking for escape from it. I think he's just wanting to affirm that there's meaning in it. Did that make sense? Say amen. Like, I'm, I don't need rescue from it, but I need to know there's meaning in it. I think John is saying, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then if I die here, that's okay. If I have given my life for the Messiah, 
If everything I did gets me killed, but you are the one, you are the one we've been waiting for. You are the one that's gonna rescue Israel. You are the one that's gonna redeem humanity. You are the one that's gonna give salvation for sins. You are the one that's gonna make everything right. If you're the one, then it's worth it. It's worth it. I don't think John in any way is asking this thing out of, no, I don't know, I'm not him, I don't know, but I think everything in John's life demonstrates he was a man of faith and, and commitment and he was true to who he was called to be. And when he asked Jesus, are you the one? He's not saying, if you're the one, rescue me. He's like, no, if you're the one, then I'm okay. I'm okay. That if you're the one, then I'll know that if I die, I've given my life to something that has eternal significance and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And Jesus says, Matthew 11, verse four, go back, report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. And that almost seems mean. <laughs> you go tell John all the amazing stuff I'm doing for everybody else and not him. Now he's saying, no, go tell him of all the evidence to affirm that I am exactly who John has always believed me to be. And look at me, I don't know what you're going through right now, but can I just remind you, he is exactly who he says he is. That maybe you're in a season right now where life is so hard and so painful and so difficult and you don't know if you're gonna come out of it and what's happening to you is causing you to question who he is. Can I just be the one that says he is who he says he is? He is, he is. And just like he would say to John the Baptist, everything that you believed, your life is not meaningless. Your pain is not in vain. Your struggle is not unnoticed and your reward will be waiting on the other side if this is it. And there was another man who was in prison facing death and he expressed the kind of sentiment that I believe John held in his heart. Philippians chapter one, verse 20. Paul writes, I eagerly and expect that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That it is worth it. Look at me. Everything you will ever do for Jesus is worth it. Every price you will ever have to pay, every sacrifice you will ever have to make, anything it will ever cost you, it, it is worth it. It is worth it. And so I don't know what kind of suffering you're gonna be forced to endure, but I'm also reminded in Romans chapter eight, where it says the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Somebody say in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God that someday all the suffering will give way to glory and we will know that everything that we've experienced will be worth it all because the reward awaits us. And I just remind you that the God that you question at times, the God that you yell at, the God that you wonder, are you? Look at me, he was no stranger to suffering. He suffered most in order that you and I might have salvation. He gave up his body and he shed his blood so that we could have life. And then, you know, another person that said, are you? Jesus, when he was on the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, are you still there? Even in that moment, So if you're here today and you're walking through that season of are you, God, are you, are you paying attention? Are you real? Are you good? Can today we take communion and be reminded that the answer is yes? That everything that Jesus went through, he suffered too, to buy us out of the suffering that we experience and someday all the suffering will give way to glory and it's in that promise that we have hope, church. So you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Today, we're gonna invite you to come and share the Lord's Supper, the meal that Jesus gave us to remind us of what he suffered for our salvation. And I hope that when you take this reminder of his suffering, that it puts yours maybe a little bit more in perspective. Church, we have six stations across the room. There there are two in the back and there are three across the front. And some of our host team are gonna be in the aisleways to help give you some instructions. And can I just remind you that like, just take your time, be patient. Don't feel the need to rush. Give some space so that people are comfortable coming and grabbing the elements. We're not gonna rush through this and we're very intentionally doing this different this time around because I want this meal to have more meaning than it ever has in all of your life. Especially those who sit and are in that are you season. John said, are you the one? And Jesus said, yeah, John, I am. Yeah, Matt, I am. I know that the season in your life right now is making you wonder, but can I just remind you, as I said all along, I am. He is. Everything that you thought he was in your strongest moment of faith, he still is in your weakest. So I'm gonna pray, and when I say amen, just come as you see space and time. Again, there are two stations in the back, and there are three across the front. You can take the elements and you can kneel around this platform or you can just quietly and reverently head back to your seat. Father, I pray that this would be a holy moment, that we would partake of these elements and that their meaning would not be lost on us as they sometimes are, that we would not do this out of just mindless ritual or habit, but Lord, that we would soak and absorb the reality that this juice we are about to drink is representative of the blood that you shed for us and this bread that we're about to eat is representative of the body that you gave to us. And Lord, God, I pray that that no one that that doesn't believe in this sacrifice would not partake of these elements because that's what you said, that we make a mockery of it unless we believe it. And so Lord, I pray that every heart that takes these elements receives and understands and absorbs the beauty and power that lies in them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you, church. Come, take and eat. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. 
We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.